0: Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. All right. I'm, uh, I feel the Lord leading uh, to preach away from all the noise in the political realm and preach the Bible. And uh, not that that is not preaching the Bible, I'm just preaching doctrine. Going back to the basics, I think we all need to be reminded of the basics. Amen. It's like Vince Lombardi came to the team every year and said, guys. This is a football <laughs> every year. And so it's just the basics, going back to the same, uh, what we believe. And, uh, and I think uh, going back to this, I'm heartbroken that perhaps someone uh, would even doubt this particular doctrine. Uh, but I want to just hopefully remind you of what is so precious in our faith in Christ. I had a dear lady this morning after the sermon. I preach the same message at the 9 o'clock hour. It's the condensed version, okay? Uh, this is a little bit of the longer version, but the condensed version. She said, Pastor, I needed to know that, needed to hear that. Of course, her background was different, and she was uh, helped to be more grounded in, in the, and firm in what the Bible says uh, in dealing with this here, this particular subject. Hebrews chapter 6, I'm, ra- I'm done rambling, verse number 16. For men verily swear by the greater and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest after the order of Melchizedek. You pray with me and for me this morning. Father, thank you today for the opportunity to stand before your people again. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to perhaps stand before those that are lost and need to be saved. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for hope that we have in Christ. So I pray you bless the church service today, bless this particular sermon as we uh, look at this, this crucial, crucial doctrine uh, out of the word of God. So help us, guide us to truth today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you, if you would, to put yourself at the Blanchard Valley Hospital, uh, you're laying in one of the rooms, uh, your name is uh, on, the, uh, uh, on the dry eraser board in front of you, your nurse's name is underneath your name, uh, you have the time that you had your last uh, checkup, uh, medications that you're on, Fox News is on, one of your loved ones is sitting next to you, could be a daughter, a husband, a wife, a son. You already had some tests taken earlier that week. They're waiting for them to come back. You've been there for a couple of days. You're not feeling well. Your son or your daughter, your wife, your husband gets up, says, Honey, I've got to go. I'm going to go get a lunch. I'll be back. So they walk out of the room, close the door you're by yourself. Fox News is on. Nurse comes in. How you doing? Doing okay? Checking on your monitor. She walks out. It's quiet again. An hour goes by, you hear a small knock on the door, your loved one comes back in. You could tell that they have been crying, mascara is running. Eyes are red if it's a man. Pastor is right behind them, his head's down, he's got a Bible in his hand. So you're there on that gurney and you're watching this. He or she comes up to you, pastor is behind them grabs a hold of your hand, says mom or dad, the pastor's here and we just got the test results. They're only giving you a couple of weeks to live if that. Now that is likely a reality for most of the people here unless the Lord returns. What goes through your mind at that very moment will determine how secure you are in what you believe. Now, the lesson, the title this morning, simple, secure. And I want to take you to this passage of Scripture to show you that there is something that is absolutely secure that you can believe in. Now, there's a lot of things in this life that are not secure. I mean, I'm... Uh, you know, you meet with a financial advisor, and a financial advisor comes to you and says, hey, you know, here's this plan out your life, and you're going to be retiring at this time of your life. And, and they'll say, here, you can put it in stocks, you can put your money in, in bonds, and you can put it over here or there. But, and, and they say, well, is there any guarantee? No, it's really, it's really, based on the last 80 years, the stocks have done this, and based on this amount of time and data, real estate has done this. But there really is no absolute way for me to tell you that your money is secure, and you... Say, okay, finances are not secure in this world. You realize that the relationships that we have are not necessarily secure. The person sitting next to you today may be gone tomorrow. Uh, Death may take them away. A broken relationship could take them away. Even your health this morning is not necessarily secure. I mean, you may be in good shape now, but you may be sick tomorrow. You may get ill this week. It's not secure. We don't know how uh, our bodies react, and uh, I, you know, I don't care how much geritol you eat, or how many vitamins you take, or, or how many sick drinks that you put down your throat, hoping that it's going to work. I don't know. I don't know. It's, but it's not secure. It is not secure. Our political environment. I don't need to go there too long today, but that's not secure. And I know this morning, when we look at the security around us, there's not a whole lot of things that we can say is absolutely secure. But I dare say, ladies and gentlemen, when it comes to your security in Christ and your eternal security, that is absolutely secure if you're saved. Absolutely. Thomas Jackson, uh, one of the generals in the Civil War, I mean, a godly man, He feared God, he loved, he would go to the battlefield, prayed up. He called him Stonewall because he was literally a stone adamant object in the middle of a battle. When bullets are flying, he just didn't move. And one of the lower ranking officers came to him one day and asked him about his steadfastness in battle. And he says, my religious beliefs teach me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that, but to be always ready no matter when it may overtake me. Security. Look in first John, keep your finger there in the book of Hebrews. Go to the book of first John chapter number 5. First John chapter 5 and I want you to pick it up in verse number 10. First John 5:10. All right, watch what it says. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself, and he that believeth not God hath made him a liar. Look at verse number 12. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. So watch this. Here's a very interesting verse that if you possess Jesus Christ, you have right now life, eternal life. If you do not possess Jesus Christ, you do not have eternal life. It's black and white. Uh, and the Bible says over in John that the wrath of God abideth on you. And so you are either saved or you're not saved. And so when you look at these verses here, we find biblical record that we can know if we have the, the son of God, Jesus Christ, we have right now. We don't have to wait for eternal life. We have life Right now, we don't have to wait to after we die to know if we have eternal life. We have eternal life right now. In fact, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're raised to sit together in heavenly places. I haven't sat in a heavenly place, not in heaven right now, but we are in a heavenly place being in Christ because the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. We're sitting this morning in a heavenly place. Why? Because if you're saved today, you have the witness of God in yourself, the witness of the Holy Spirit, and this morning, you have that hope. Now, look back in verse number 18. I want you to see these two words here in verse number 18. Same word, but it's in two different verses And it says in verse 18 uh, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon. Watch this. The hope set before us. Verse 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Hope. A very interesting word, by the way. And the word hope in the Bible is different than the word hope that we use today. I mean, I just got a phone call this morning and our brother uh, is sick this morning. He's got the flu. And, uh, and my first response is, first of all, pray for him. Uh, but my, my, uh, my next statement to myself is that I hope he gets better. Or we'll say something like, I hope it works out for you. Okay, Those, that, that, that term that we use, that word hope that we use, has and carries with it some degree of doubt. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I hope it does. I, I hope that I can finish on time today. I don't know if that'll happen, okay? But I hope it will. Are you all here? I hope we have a good class today. I don't know if it will, but I, I'm, I have some degree of, of certainty. that it will. But I'm not sure if everyone's going to like the class this afternoon. I hope that we can come back down. I don't know if it'll happen, but we use that word hope with some degree of uncertainty. We don't know. But when the Bible uses the word hope, It is with certainty, not uncertainty. Why? Because God is putting his name behind this particular word. It contains no fear. It contains no doubt because we have a divine promise behind that word hope. It's an amazing thing about this. As believers, we live in three realms. We live in the present which we're working through right now. And I'll have a few minutes to exhort you with the word of God. But we also have in in a realm, we live in the past and we live in the future. And all three of these realms, if you would, are moving and we're finishing. We're going to be going one day to the grave. Or if the rapture takes place, we go up by the rapture or the calling out of the church. One of those two events will take us out of this world. And that's been like that since the beginning of time. So we move in these three realms. But as a believer, think about this, we always are moving with this mindset, if you would. And so each one of these stages of life have a definition. They have something that God attaches to it, if you're a believer, of what these, if you would, mean. The the past is defined and finished and, and if you would, uh, 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 secured by faith. Faith. In fact, the Bible says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depths or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what's Paul saying in Romans 8? He says everything in the past under faith has been taken care of. We know that we've sinned. We know that we, are, we were sinners. We knew that Jesus loved us. We knew that we have come to him for uh, salvation. And by faith in Christ, we know that our past has been cared for. Everything that we've ever done, everything that we've ever said, every place we've ever gone, every every evil thought, all that, under faith has been cared for by the blood of Jesus. If you're saved, it's been cared for by the blood of Jesus Christ. So that realm is taken care of by the word Faith, praise God for that. So we don't live only in the past. We have also the present that we live in. And that present is taken care of by God's love. And I have time to really unpack all that, but if you want to study the gift of the Holy Spirit and the promise of the Holy Spirit that was given to us by the Father, given to us to have comfort and to guide us into all truth, and is taking care of us and and comforting us in our afflictions and and guiding us and helping us and strengthening us and rebuking us and 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 uh, and and showing us the Holy Spirit of God, a gift of the of of the Father to the church to help us, taking care of us. By love. And then our future is cared for by hope. The hope of eternal life. The laying hold of eternal life. The Bible says that Paul writing to Timothy, fight the good fight. He says of faith, lay hold on eternal life where until thou art called. Thou hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Timothy, stay with it. Why? Because you have hope. So pastor, you'd make those up. Those three words, faith, hope, and love. Absolutely not. They're in the Bible. And they are going to abide forever. Amen? And so the point is this. As God's people, we don't have this strange little, I hope it works out. I hope I'm good enough to get to heaven. I hope my good works outweigh my bad works. If you are saved today, and I'll explain that what it is, you know without a shadow of any doubt, that you're going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. So when your loved ones are sitting there, tears are in their eyes, pastors uh, right behind and opening some scripture to you, you, it's not a time of like, wow, what am I going to do? You're not thinking about your finances at that point. You're not thinking about your car. You're not thinking about your hobbies. You're not thinking about the guns, or even the political. You're thinking right now, your relationship with God. And how secure is that? Powerful. Look back at our text. We'll give you three points. We'll go home. Look at verse 16 of our our text, Hebrews 6. For men verily swear by the Creator, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise. We'll have you think about that phrase there. The heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. So what do we have as believers in Christ? What do we have that God has given us? So as, as we sit there, how do I know? How do I know I'm going to heaven? Have I done good? Listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, watch this. What do we have? Number one, we have a promise from God. Number one, we have a promise from God. And in fact, it says in verse number uh, 17, it says the heirs of what? Promise. And it's his promise here. God has given his word on the matter. It's, a, it's these verses that show it very clear that it's not some man giving us a promise. It is God giving us a promise. Let me, let me go back to just a couple of verses back. Look at verse 13. God is making a promise to Abraham. And when God made a, a promise to Abraham, watch what it says. Because he could swear by no greater. Watch what God does here to Abraham. Watch what he says. He swear by who? All right. So God says, okay, Abraham, let me see if I can make this as clear as I can and make this promise as sure as I can. I cannot swear by any greater. So what I'm going to do, I'm swearing by myself. In other words, God is putting his name on the line to back the promise. You all with me so far? And so, and then it says, saying, surely I will bless thee and multiply, I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, watch this, he obtained the what? Promise. And so God promised, Abraham obtained the promise. Okay, okay, So, so when God gives you his word, he places his integrity behind it. Okay, he gives us the great promise of his very name behind it. That's why the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that's a promise, that he gave his only begotten son. That happened. That whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise. And so when someone comes to God and believes what God said about his son, Jesus Christ, and, and believes Jesus Christ, God makes a promise, I'm going to give you eternal life. Okay, so you find uh, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Notice in Romans 10, 9 and 10, it doesn't say confess all of your sins. You wouldn't remember them if you could. I can't remember all the things that I've done in my mind, in my heart, all my life. But if I confess, watch this, with my mouth the Lord Jesus. I'm reading, I'm quoting right out of the Bible. And believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, there's a promise. So God then promises, if you believe in your heart, okay, the Lord Jesus, you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, he says, and, and I'm going to promise you eternal life. Biblical promise. Romans 10, verse number thir- uh, 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be partially saved. No. Shall be, may be saved? No. Shall be saved is the promise. Are you all with me? So we're, we're, watch this. God is making a promise. Whosoever calls on me, I'm going to give him eternal life. Promise from God. So the point is, Romans 6, 16, 13 says that, that uh, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and join a Baptist church and thou shalt be saved. Not believe on Jesus Christ and, and do good works and be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be what? Save. Saved. So how does that work out? Okay, you've got three crosses. you got the man in the middle, Jesus Christ. You've got one on the left and one on the right. Both of them deserved what they were getting. In fact, one of the malefactors, the thief, says, we deserve this. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing amiss. He's done nothing wrong. And he says to Jesus, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom, remember me. And Jesus gave him some of the most precious words that any dying person could ever get. He says, today thou shall be with me in paradise. That's a promise. Now, wait a minute. This guy never got off the cross. He, went, he never went to church. Uh, he never got baptized. He never did really one good work. All he did was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Lord Jesus Christ gave him a promise that you're going to be with me. He did nothing, he did absolutely nothing, and he has a lot of bad works. He's being crucified for his thievery. He's a criminal, he's a convict, okay? He's a felon, and he's dying for his sin, but all he did was say, Lord, remember me. Two words he says, okay, I not only will remember you, but you're going to be with me. Wow. Oh, well, pastor, how sure is God's word? How do you know? Well, it's in the same verse. Go back to verse number 17. Hebrews 6. Hebrews 6 says, verse 17, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of the promise. He's going to show the heirs of promise the immutability of his what? Now, this word immutability simply means unchangeable. Now, there are a lot of things that change. All right? And we can go through the styles. Styles change, you know. And my brother came in here and picked on me a couple years ago because I had a members-only jacket in the 1980s and all that stuff, okay? Some of you don't remember that. I do, okay? All right. We had styles change, people change, the political, the country changes Okay, but people definitely change. Churches change. But God, the Bible says, is unchangeable. He's immutable. He's his he's, the immutability of his counsel is that he is never going to waver. He is never going to change. So, in other words, God has the same plan of salvation as for us today as they did. When Jesus died and buried and rose again. Same plan of salvation before the crucifixion. You have to go through Jesus Christ. He has not changed his holiness. He has not changed his view on sin. He has not changed the blood atonement. It's been through the blood from all the way in Genesis chapter 3. All the way through the blood atonement uh, sacrifices through the Old Testament. When Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He shed his blood And we're looking back at the cross, the blood of Jesus Christ. All of that is a picture of the very atonement of God. And he's not going to change. It's always the blood. If you're going to be saved, you're not going to be saved by your good works. You're going to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why Romans 6.23 says, For the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is not through a church. It is not through the Baptist church. It is not through the Lutheran church. It is not through any denomination. The gift of God, eternal life, is through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? That's why the word of God, let it speak, let it teach, because it is a gift. Now, interestingly, if it is a gift, can it be taken away? Well, if it would be able to be taken away, then it would be deconditioned on us. See, a gift is freely given. Amen? And a gift must be freely received. I mean, for a gift to be a legitimate gift, it cannot be earned. You can't pay for the gift. Can you imagine God saying, I want to give you a gift of eternal life, but I want you to pay me. You can't do that. A gift in the purest sense is freely given, but it is conditional on one thing. It must be freely received, the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ. So the whole system where we have to pay for the gift is not in the Bible. It is contrary to the scripture. The word of God is absolutely clear that it is a gift. And the gift of God is eternal life, not partial life, eternal life through Jesus. So if God ever took it back, it would be conditioned on us. And if it were conditioned on us, we would then be paying for the gift. And if we were paying for the gift, it would no longer be a gift. That's not my notes, but I thought that was kind of interesting to lay that out there. Makes sense. Can you Imagine, can you imagine say, saying to your kids, hey, got a little drone for you, 25 bucks, right under there, but just pay me what I paid for it. And it's a free gift to you, though. Are y'all here? So the point is, if you have trusted, and and it's interesting that there's references in our text here to the soul. If you've trusted Jesus, For your soul salvation, when you're on that gurney and you're on that hospital bed, here's your loved one sitting by you. Here's the pastor coming in, reading biblical promises. This is not a time to say, oh, boy, I wish I don't know. No, if you're saved, it's a time to rejoice because you are about to receive the promise of eternal life. You're about to see the promise that you've already received it or, or received it. You're going to see it because you're going to see him as he is. What a blessing. So he confirmed it by a promise. I want you to note here in verse number 17 also, unpacking these verses, this is fun. He says, watch this, last part. He confirmed it by an oath. He confirmed, in other words, God placed his very name on the line. Okay, he confirmed it by an oath. So not only did he have the immutability of his counsel, he can't change, uh, were the heirs of the promise. And then it says here, confirmed it by an oath. And so... Don't take this wrong and don't, don't, um, don't think in any way that this is a, a statement that is disrespectful to the very character of God. But I'm just going to shock you with a couple of statements here. If we lost salvation, if we were able to lose salvation, we would lose our soul, right? But God loses more than that. He would lose his holiness. Uh, Please, he would lose his right to be God because he would have effectively lied. And God cannot lie. So he loses, yes, we lose our soul, but he loses everything. All of his majestic, all of his holiness, everything about him would be lost. If he would send someone to hell that trusted in his plan and his blood atonement, in his salvation plan, and he would say, you're out. That's why you'd be calling God essentially a liar. And he's not. Amen. So watch this. Saints have, we have, believers have a promise from God. Number two, quickly, this gives us comfort. I don't know what it's like. I've been to several of these types of scenes. I've seen several types of reactions from people. I've had people look up at the ceiling. People start breathing heavy. I've had people start asking questions. What about what's going on? Okay. Then I have some people say, well, praise God. Amen. <laughs> Finally, I get to go home to be with the Lord. Two different reactions. How can we have what is about to be said here? Look in verse number 18 again. He says, we, the second part of this verse here, let me read the whole thing. By two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have what? Strong consolation. Not constellation. <laughs> consolation. Interesting word. It simply means the comfort. It means to cheer the mind in distress or depression. To alleviate grief, the 1828 dictionary definition of console is to alleviate grief, give refreshment of mind, give contentment or moderate happiness by relieving from distress. Console. We've been consoled before. We've been comforted before. Someone maybe have comforted us with some words. But when we deal with eternal life, when we have a biblical promise of what God can can do, the Bible uses the word strong consolation. This is not weak consolation. It is strong confidence that God is comforting us in our, and that's a distressful time. Hey, you got two weeks to live. How you doing? Want a cup of coffee? All right. That's distressful, especially if you don't know what's going to happen and you don't know, man. I'm gonna. I just have a few few short days. I I would bring my family in. Uh, what about me? Where's my soul going to go? Am I just going to stop? Exa-? A lot of questions can come to a person when they're given just a few weeks or. A month or a couple of years at best. So how can we have this? Watch this. Because of the very verse that says here, who have fled for what? Refuge. Now, how can we have consolation? Because you fled for refuge. Refuge. We have found refuge in heaven. Refuge in Christ. Now, what does that mean? It's got an interesting connection. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel, they were, of course, given a promise. Abraham was promised a nation. Of course, they uh, were carved out of all the nations of humanity, and God chose this nation to bring the Messiah, and you know the whole the whole story. But, but what you find here, that when they were going to come into the promised land, there was some instruction given to Joshua. And it was interesting, because it, it didn't exist. You know, they didn't have these before that, but he was... in in the 48 cities that they were going to develop, he said, I want you to build six cities. There's going to be three cities on one side of the Jordan River, and there's going to be three cities on the other side of the Jordan River. And they're called, very specifically, cities of refuge. Okay? And and the names of those cities are are Shechem and Hebron and Kadesh and Bezer and and Ramoth and Golan. And and they're they're very specific. And roads to these cities were clear. Uh signage to the cities were clear. But what were they for? Let's say, for example, you live during that time and you're chopping down a tree. The axe head falls off, hits your buddy in the head. He dies. Horrible thing. But under the law, one of their ancestors or relatives can come and seek blood for blood. It was an accident. I understand that. But they can actually take revenge. It was legal to do that. The only thing that the one that accidentally killed them could do is get to one of these cities. And the cities of refuge were locatable. You can get to them. And as soon as you got there, the avenger of blood could not come into the city. The avenger of the blood could not come in and say, get that guy. He killed my brother. He killed my dad. Uh, Blood for blood. The whole family's out here. We're going to kill him. Can't do it. It's against the law. He's in the city of refuge. He is safe in the city of refuge. There was one little snafu to that. They had to stay in the city of refuge and they were safe from the avenger of blood as long as the city's high priest would be alive. So, it would be in the offender's best interest to make sure that the priest was very healthy. I mean, so you would be bringing him vitamin A and vitamin C. All right. You be how are you feeling today? You make sure that he, because if he dies, okay? then the avenger of the blood of that man that you killed, or that woman you killed, can come in and you're, you're no longer saved. Are you all here so far? So watch this. When you got saved, when you accepted Christ as saved, you recognized you weren't getting to heaven by yourself. You trusted in Jesus as your Savior, plus nothing, plus no membership. Plus no membership. I don't think that's a double negative. Plus nothing. So watch this. When you got saved, you essentially ran To the refuge, the only refuge of your soul. Why? Because you have an avenger of blood after you. Now, who's that? Let me say this. It's not the devil. Well, the devil's after me. He may be. But the avenger of blood. Now, listen. this This is an amazing doctrine here I'm about to share with you. The avenger of blood is God himself. And he is going to hold those that are not saved Guilty of the blood of Jesus Christ. Whoa, you killed my son. Are you all here? This gets really deep. Now watch this. The very one that is going to and has legal right to take vengeance out on that one that has killed his son. Wants you to get to the city of refuge before he gets to you. Because he loves you. But by his justice, he's got to judge you. What? Yeah. So he provides a city of refuge. It's Jesus Christ. He says, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna provide a way for you to, to, to hide from my wrath. If you get in this city, you're gonna be, you're gonna be okay. You'll be fine. Get into the city. That's why the Bible's very clear that we are to persuade men. Why? Because the avenger of blood is after you. God. Well, I thought he was a loving God. He is a loving God. And I don't understand his love, nor can I understand his just, justice and judgment. I can't understand that either. But I know it's fierce. Don't ever underestimate the power of God in his judgment on nations, his judgment on individuals. So get to the city before I get to you. Now, the snafu here is you're only safe as long as a high priest is alive. Hold the, hold the thought. Go to the next chapter, chapter 7. Chapter, 20, chapter 7, Hebrews, and verse 25. Okay, we're, we're good inside the city of refuge as long as he's alive. Verse 25. Wherefore he, Christ, is able also to save them to the uttermost. One preacher said, from the guttermost to the uttermost. Amen. That come to God by him, seeing he, Christ, ever liveth to make intercession for them. Let me just say this. This is not good English, but he ain't dying. He is never going to die. He ever liveth. Amen? So the high priest is not ever going to die, pass away. He is the high priest forever. So why do we have strong consolation? Because we ran into the city of refuge. We ran into the very person of Jesus Christ who will never die. Woo! Now that's strong consolation. Strong consolation. Comforting. Number two, the reason why we have strong consolation is in the next verse, verse 19, Hebrews 6. Which hope? Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. If my cousin Billy is watching, he will remember the time that we got really stupid in our early 20s. We found this little creek, I live in South Jersey, South Jersey, Cape May County, is uh, kind of the tip that comes down under Philadelphia. You got the Delaware Bay that goes up into Philadelphia, and then the mouth of the Delaware Bay goes out into the Atlantic Ocean. We found this little creek, and it was a couple of miles long. We didn't have a boat. We never afforded a boat, could afford a boat. but well, we found this little canoe, patched it up, made it work. And we put this little canoe, small boat into this creek and we had a couple of paddles and we just started paddling out and we found the mouth to the very, I mean, after about two hours of paddling, wow, I knew it had to be there, the Delaware Bay. And so we went back a couple hours back to the truck and we needed to get an anchor. So we got a cinder block and some clothesline. And we wrapped the clothesline around the cinder block, put it in the... And we said, well, this will work. Good enough. Now, you understand, the Delaware Bay is going to go out to the Atlantic Ocean. So we get out there about a quarter mile, and we get the fishing rods out, all the baits in there. We're having some good time, right? I said, cast the anchor over. (laughs) All right, so we cast the anchor, and it just kept going and going and going. And finally it stops, and we had enough rope in the boat, tied it off, said we are good shape, started fishing. And all of a sudden, about an hour into that trip, we looked at the shore. First of all, it was a whole lot further than what it was a couple hours before. Second thing, there was hotels. <laughs> and there was people on beaches and things like that. I said, Billy, I said, I could be, I, I said, I know but we've been doing some crazy things, but... Does that look right to you? And he looked, he said, no. He says, I don't recognize that. No, wait, I know that hotel. And we sort started, started realizing something's wrong. We looked at the rope and it's kind of floating on top of the water. <laughs> oh, and we were heading out to the Atlantic Ocean in a canoe. Stupid. I realized the importance of a solid anchor. Now, we're told here that we have an anchor of the soul. So you're at the hospital bed. I mean, we're getting some news to you that, man, you've got a couple of weeks to live. You have been given a terminal case. Hospice is going to be called in. We're going to keep you comfortable. You're going to families be flying in from around the United States. They're going to be holding your hands. But in all of that. There's something that's going to give you strong consolation, and that is that anchor of the soul. It'll never break. And the Bible says it is anchored, the Bible says, sure and steadfast, and which entereth into within the veil. (laughs) Listen, this anchor, this anchor is going to help you through the storms of life. I mean, when an anchor on a ship is put overboard, it's to help get that ship anchored down because we got some bad waves coming. We've got some wind coming. We've got some storms coming. But get the anchor down. As long as that anchor's holding, we're going to be fine. But that anchor starts letting up, man. We're going to have some problems. The ship will go sideways and, and we could be capsized. But make sure that anchor is holding down to the bottom of that ocean. But our anchor doesn't go down. Amen? Amen? It goes up. It goes within the veil. Where's that up at? is in heaven. Can you imagine just spiritually looking at all of us? We have all these anchors, lines going up. Imagine seeing that. Isn't that great? It's connected. I had a brain, brainless idea. My dad's a contractor. He had all these rolls of string that we just, as little boys, love to get into string. I would take his his tools and make toys out of them. Every contractor in this church knows what it's like to have a boy that loves toys, actually loves tools and makes toys out of tools. had a kite one day, nice kite. My dad had those strings, 500 yards, 500 feet of string. I started tying that on, and I flew a kite up so high that the kite disappeared into the clouds. It was pretty cool at first until I couldn't see it anymore. But I knew that it was up there. Because I could feel it tugging on that string. And I know that God is up there because I feel that tugging on my heart. It's that, it's that anchor. I got you. I'm holding you. And there are times where we say, oh God, where are you? It's sure and steadfast. And by the way, as you look, that the anchor... Is going up. We may drift out from time to time. But the anchor is always going to hold us. And I praise God for that. So saints you have a promise. You have strong consolation. And then lastly I'm going to finish with this. Is that we have a contact. In heaven. I don't know about you. I, I like to have contacts. <laughs> Are you all with me? Where I can make a phone call. Say hey can you take, yeah, you can take care of this. <laughs> Alright. Work this and. Make that contact. Contacts are good. Knowing people are good. But the greatest person to know is Jesus Christ because in verse 20, it says, whether the forerunner, forerunner is someone that goes before you, is entered for us, w- rather forerunner, is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest for after, forever, forever after the order of Melchizedek. If all we had, is the covenant, if all we had is the comfort, that'd be one thing. But to have a contact in heaven, one that we can call on at any time. Isn't that a blessing? Where we can go to him, we can come to, and I want to say this here, because I, and, and the, the wording is important for us to know. It says the word us, whether the forerunner is for us entered. So so he's already, God, Christ has already entered into heaven. He's already died on the cross. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again. Forty days later, he ascends up into heaven. He is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. We find that he is making intercession for us. But when you see the word here in verse 20, that this forerunner is for us entered. It carries an idea that this is a corporate blessing that you and I have. When we come together, we we prayed in the last hour, we prayed here for this service. We corporately came together and we prayed to our Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our intercessor. He is the one that we go to to talk to God. Isn't that a blessing? I don't have to go to a man to talk to God. I can go right to God myself. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Timothy that, uh, that uh, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Isn't that a blessing? I don't have to go to someone else. I can go right to him. Why? Because he's already, he's a forerunner. He's already gone, and he's my contact person. I don't need to go to anyone else. I go right to him, and then he makes intercession for me to God. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. And he made it that way. He created this so where we can come to him, and he's a high priest. The Bible says, after the order of Melchizedek, verse 20, he's the high priest. He's called the high priest. That means one who is... is is, is is going between it carries the idea that the one that performs those duties, if you would, between the people of God and God Himself, the High Priest of God. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel had to build a tabernacle, and the tabernacle uh, was uh, was constructed that there was only one way in. When you would come into the tabernacle, there was a, a brazen altar. And there the sacrifice that would be brought into that one gate were placed on that altar. And that altar was to consume the sacrifices. But the blood was to take be taken from that sacrifice and taken over to the laver. And the laver, they would wash their hands and they would go into the holy place. And, and then the blood would be placed aside and they would see the candle uh, that would be illuminating the holy place and, and the beauty of that. But beyond that was the veil between the holy place and the most holy place and the priest would take that blood and they would go behind that veil into the most holy place and they would sprinkle blood on the tabernacle, the very place that God would meet with Israel once a year, the day of atonement and he would sprinkle that blood on that mercy seat and God would forgive the sins of those people for one more year. That was what the priest would do. They were depending on that priest to do what he had to do. But we don't have an earthly priest anymore. We have the high priest, Jesus Christ. He's already a forerunner. He's already gone ahead. He's already paid the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice. He's already taken his blood to the mercy seat in heaven. He has paid the ultimate sacrifice for all those that want to come to him through Christ. And now he's sitting at the right hand of the father. And he intercedes for the people to God. No other person can do that. And anyone that would ever try to do that is an imposter. There's only one high priest. It's Jesus Christ. And when he said on the cross, it is finished. The Bible says the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom. He bowed his head. There was an earthquake. The the veil of the temple rent. Many people in the Graves, came out of those graves and appeared on the many in the holy city. That's the first part of this resurrection. And Jesus was seen by many. 500 or plus people watched him, saw him. And then he resurrected. Not only he he came out of the grave, but then he ascended up to heaven. And he said, I'm going to come back. 2,000 years ago, we're still waiting for him to return. Because we're waiting for the second part. Of the great harvest, the first resurrection. When those according to Second Timothy chapter or excuse me, Second Thessalonians chapter two and first Corinthians chapter fifteen, there's a trumpet that's going to sound, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be called up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. It is finished. It is finished. So Mrs. So and so or Mr. So and so. You're just given a couple of weeks to live. I I'm sorry to tell you this. Your body is failing. And you're sitting there thinking, I'm one of God's children through Jesus Christ. I trusted him as my Savior. I realized that I was a sinner. I realized because of sin I was going to die and go to hell. I realized that Jesus loved me and died for my sins. And I trusted him. The only way that I can get to heaven, this city of refuge. And I have right now strong consolation. I'm doing good. Not because of a fictitious promise, but by the one who promised it is impossible for him to lie. Wow. So I think this morning we need to settle our hearts because the anchor is going to hold. We may stumble, but the anchor, we may fail. We all do. Say, Pastor, I don't think I've done enough good works to get to heaven. You're right. There's not enough good works you can do. The only way you can get there is trusting Christ and Christ alone for salvation, plus nothing, plus absolutely nothing. And then promises eternal life.